As you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. to hear. I want you to hear the importance of knowing what God's Word says, not what man says. Because there's a lot of opinions and there's a lot of things that are out there when it comes to the end times. And we've got to make sure that we are hearing what God's Word says because man can think they hold the truth and sometimes they can, but God's Word is always truth. And it's an absolute truth in our life. And there's major questions Let's just be real right now. We've got major questions when we turn on our TVs every day and we don't have to watch the news for long or flashing up on our home screen of our, our, our computers is just all the horrific things that are taking place throughout this world. ISIS, just the, the devastation that's going through Iraq, Iran, all those areas and just the countless amount of Christians and people who have been persecuted running for their lives and just the terrorism that's going on. And then we can just flip over and we can see in Israel and Syria and the un- rest and and just so many things all around and we don't even have to look overseas anymore just the fear and terror that there is on our shores right now that almost every day now people somewhere on a news podcast or a news show are talking about the fact that when are we going to be attacked what's going to be the target the code whatever it may be right now they're elevating all the time why because there is fear and there is panic all around us But you see, what we've got to be very careful of is this. If there's fear around us, we cannot control that, but we've got to make sure that the fear doesn't get inside of us. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take all the unrest and of all the fear that's around us, and he wants to put it inside of us that we ourselves will be unable to sleep, worried that we're going to work, we're talking to... We as Christians, listen to me, we as Christians are called to be the hope of the world. We're called to be the hope of the world. So if we're going into places and pulling out our hair and saying, I don't know, I'm terrified, I've got no peace, what hope is there for other people around? So we've got to get this right. So I'm really excited as we go through this series. I believe we're going to see some great things and great truths from God's Word and the opportunity each and every week plus throughout the week is available for you to ask questions. You can go on the website and post questions. We had some good questions that were posted today and I'm not, not going to answer them tonight but I'm going to say the questions that were asked, they're going to be answered next week and the week after. So I would rather leave those not to confuse too much. But please, if you've got questions, write them down because we just want to work through those things. And at the end of tonight, hopefully we can try and help. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm no guru when it comes to end times. 
It's not like I'm this theological genius and I know all these things. But I have a knowledge of the Word of God that I hope that we can uh, answer every question. And if we don't have the answer tonight, we'll have the answer back for you next time we meet. I'll promise you that. But as I said, with all the events around us, it's all pointing towards one thing. It's all pointing to what we've drawn to a conclusion that this, it has to be the last days. Anyone looked at that and said that to yourself? It's got to be the last days. Maybe it's not a statement. Maybe it's a question. Is this the last days? And I'm going to try and help you with all of that. But here's the first thing I'm going to tell you right off the bat. And that is this. I'm sorry to tell you tonight that we don't, I don't have an infinitive answer of whether this is the last days or not. Oh, man, we're going to go home. We're going to discover the reason why I don't have that, because Jesus doesn't have that. The angels don't have that, but only God has that. So don't look at me wrong tonight, because that's just what God's Word tells us. And I've been always the type of guy, to be honest with you, is this. I don't worry about so much about what I don't know, but I like to focus more on what I do know. And that's what we're going to be looking at mainly tonight and throughout this series. Not what we don't know. Because we've got to trust God with some of those things. But we can focus on what we do know. And from God's word and from the scripture, there is enough when it comes to dealing with the end times that can give us peace and that can give us an assurance and that can give us clear direction in a dark and stormy time. And we need that. We need that clear direction. And the first thing I'll say is this. Here's what I do know. We should not be stricken by fear. As children of God, we should not be literally paralyzed by the fear of the events that is going on around our lives. Our lives should never be governed by fear. Our lives as Christians should never be governed as fear. Why? Look what the Bible says, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Come on, make that personal tonight. God has not given me a spirit of fear. Come on, say that with me. God has not given me a spirit of fear. But what has he given me? He's given me power. He's given me that which is greater than anything that the enemy can offer and present to me. God's given me the power to overcome. What has he also given me? He's given me love. He's given me love and what? A sound mind. That's controlled thinking. That God wants me to have safe, controlled thinking in our lives. Sometimes, I I have to be honest, I have to remind myself of that over and over again sometimes. Because the natural tendency we have is, but God, you've not given me a spirit of fear. God, you've given me power, you've given me love, and you've given me a sound mind. And you've got to remind yourself that fear is not of God, and fear is definitely not good for our lives. And we've got to get rid of that. I'm not afraid. I can be absolutely honest with you. I'm not afraid of the future. I remember when 9-11 happened. Just after 9-11, it so happened that my grandfather was in England or Scotland at the time. And I was scheduled to go five weekends in a row to Atlanta, Georgia to preach for him while he was out of town for a whole month. And I can remember the fear that people had. No one wanted to fly after 9-11. And I can remember, I had not one ounce of fear. I can be honest and tell you that. I didn't have not one ounce of fear. Because as a child of God, I felt if God was going to take me, then that must be my time. But I felt that God still had a purpose and calling on my life. Now, that doesn't mean I go and jump off a cliff and say, God, save me. 
But it means I carry on my everyday life, not allowing circumstances and situations to change the course of my life. Everyone understand that? So when I would be going on a plane, people were terrified on the plane. And I'd be looking at them. And here's what I would say to people. Don't worry. Well, what do you mean? Don't worry. This plane's not going down. Well, why would you say that? Because I'm on it. And you can say, well, that's arrogance. No, it's not arrogance. It's faith. It's trust. It's a hope in God and a steadfast hope. And I'm not afraid of the future, but here's what I am afraid of, that I'm not prepared for the future. And that's what we need to be worried about. We don't need to fear about the future, but we need to make sure that our lives are where they need to be to take on and to embrace and to see blessing and to see our lives complete in the future. So we're going to look tonight at God's Word. We're going to read quite a lot of Scripture tonight. and So follow along. It's going to be up on the screen for you. But take down notes. Read the Scriptures when you get home. But it's amazing as you begin to study God's Word on the end times, you discover that His Word is literally peppered with references when it comes to the end times. That literally, it's in, uh, in the New Testament alone, 27 books in the New Testament, the end times are mentioned in 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament. That's a lot. Why? Because it's important. God doesn't want to leave us ignorant. He doesn't want to leave a scratch on our heads and say, what can we do? So what does that tell me? I'll tell you what it tells me, that there's enough information in there that we can read to have the peace that we need to live the lives that God wants us to have. So God's got the information there if we'll just read his word. And it's amazing, as we'll see tonight, that most of the references, they draw attention to this. Not the date or the time, but our personal preparation. That's the emphasis, not the date and not the time, but the emphasis is where are you? Are you ready? What's going on in your life? And really, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, being ready, being ready. So let's look at one of the scriptures. Mark chapter 13 is one of those. You can also read Matthew 24. They pretty much parallel each other. But Mark chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 3. And as I said, we're going to read a lot, but it's going to make sense as we read, I pray, these things. And the title in my Bible is The Signs of the Times and the End of the Age. The Signs of the Times and the End of the Age. What it says over verse 3 in my Bible, and it says this, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. So you can see this, they're just kicked back, they're relaxed, they're sitting on the mountain, they're looking out over Jerusalem, they're looking out over the temple. The disciples come to him privately and they ask him, and here's what they say, verse 4, Jesus, tell us when will these things be? In other words, they're saying, when will all of this end? When will all of this end? What will be the sign When all these things will be fulfilled. When will it come to pass? When will all of this come to pass? Matthew 24 talks about what will be the signs of your coming is what they ask Jesus. When are you going to come back? What will be the signs of your coming? So think about this. They're alone with Jesus and they're thinking to themselves that Jesus is going to give them some inside information. They're just thinking that he's going to tell them that they're going to be set at ease and everything's going to be perfect. Because, you see, the problem we have in human nature is this. Most of the time, we prepare right at the end. 
Come on, most of the time, human nature is last minute preparation. So I have to wonder, we can't get into the hearts of the disciples, but I have to just wonder, being a human being myself, if they were asking Jesus, what hour, what time is it going to happen, that they're making sure that they're good enough so they can make a change before it takes place. You see what I'm saying? And that's how most of us would live. If Jesus says, I'm coming back tonight at 9.30, come on, some of you would be on your knees praying at 9.29. Because after all, I have to say is, God, forgive me. And it doesn't even take me a whole minute to do that. So I can, isn't it amazing that we would rather live a life of sin, knowing when we could make a change instead of making a change and living a life for God. It's human nature many times for us to live. So it's almost like they're saying, Jesus, can you tell us when this is going to happen so we can be prepared and ready at that moment? We don't know if that's what they were alluding to. But I think human nature many times, that's where we find ourselves. So what does Jesus go on to say? At first, his response can be kind of strange, but we'll understand why he responds in this way a little bit later when we get to verse 32. But don't jump there yet. Don't look there yet, because we're going to get there soon. But look what his response is in verse 5. And it says, And Jesus answered them and began to say, Heed, or take heed, that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. What we're going to do is we're going to construct a list of what Jesus is telling them. The first thing that he's telling them is this, watch out for deception. Watch out for deception. Watch that you are not deceived because you're going to be tricked into thinking things are of God, but they're not of God. You're going to be tricked into following people who are not really me. They're not leading you in the right path. You're following an opinion instead of the word of God. So you've got to watch out, Jesus said, for deception. And then as we read on in verse 7, he says, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, does this sound familiar? Do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Let me stop there. So what do we see? The second thing that he says is there's going to be division. There's going to be division. There's going to be unrest. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be kingdoms that are going to stand up. It's going to be prevalent throughout the world. There's going to be fighting. There's going to be anguish. Then what does he say in the last part of verse 8? He says, and there will be earthquakes in various places... And there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. The thought of sorrows is literally like a lady in labor. It's the birth pains. It's the beginning of what is expected to precede that. So he says this is going to be the beginning of the birth pains, the beginning of sorrows. So what did he just say there? The third thing we see is that there's going to be devastation. There's going to be devastation to this world. We're going to see things that we never thought possible. It doesn't seem long ago. Remember when that tsunami hit Haiti and and all those areas. I know Todd firsthand went over there and built schools and helped. But I mean the devastation was horrific with the countless people who lost their lives. and, And those who were spared lost everything that was swept miles away by a massive wall of water that came over them. The devastation. Let's read on verse 9. But watch for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, 
for a testimony to them. And let me skip and jump to verse 11 if I could. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak, for it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. So what do we see? We will be delivered up because of the gospel. Because of standing up for Christ, we will face persecution. We will be arrested. I never thought there would be a time in this nation that we'd be close to that, but we are closer than we have ever been before. That we can stand up and say a lot of things today, but when it comes to standing up and saying the word of God, we are running the risk now. And they're trying to pass laws that we can be imprisoned. If they're trying to pass laws that if as a preacher you talk against homosexuality, that's a hate crime and you can be charged as a hate crime for these. This is where we're living. We are being delivered up all around us as we speak. And go back to verse 10. What does it say in verse 10? And the gospel must be first preached to all nations. I love how that scripture is almost in between the persecution. Verse 9 talks about we'll be persecuted. Verse 11 talks about we'll be persecuted. But in the middle of the persecution, what is said? That the gospel is going to go out brighter and greater than it has ever gone out before. That every nation is going to be touched and changed. Why? Because the church's finest hour through history has always been through persecution. Through persecution, the church has always grown and risen to the challenge. And you know why that is? Because anything that's true, when put to the test, is it going to come through. Come on, if it's fake and if it's not real, and it goes through the fire, if it goes through the test, and it's going to burn up. But that which is true is going to sustain. It's going to make it through persecution. The church is going to stand. And let's read on. Jesus speaking, verse 12. He says, Now brother will betray brother to death and father his children, and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Jesus talks about disunity. Disunity in the home. Those you're supposed to protect, you're now fighting against. There's ought in the home. Parents against kids, kids against parents, brothers against each other. And verse 13 says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end. Come on, who does not quit or does not give up, he shall be saved. So what do we see? God says there's a deliverance that's going to come through me. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried. You keep holding on. You keep trusting. And I will deliver you. Come on. You shall be saved. There's no question, ifs, ands, or buts. That's why we don't have to be afraid. God is going to come through for us every step, every time. So as we look at that list, let's put up that list. As we look at that list that we have, think about this. Deception. Is there deception around us today? Are there false people coming and preaching lies and trying to steer people the wrong way? Are there false religions that are trying to come in and weed their way in? Yes, yes. So come on, we can put a check beside deception. Amen. What about division? Is there division? Is there wars? Is there rumors of wars? Is there fighting? Is there anguish? Is there pain? Probably greater than there has ever been. We can put a check beside that. What about devastation? doesn't take you long, does it, to recall or to remind yourself of an incident that's maybe happened in the last few weeks of earthquakes and, and terror and just things that are happened. Devastation is all around us. What about people being delivered up? Not only delivered up, they've been beheaded, they've been killed, they've been crucified, been buried alive. Why? Because they will not denounce Christianity and God. 
It's happening in this world. It's even happening in this nation. Come on now. What about disunity in the home? Is that happening around? Are we seeing that in a great way? Check, check. Come on. And what about deliverance? Come on, God's going to come through for us. Come on, we can put a check beside that. Even though it hasn't happened in the extent that we believe it's going to, and the rapture of the church, but we know and we can have a confidence that God's going to take care of his business. Do I hear an amen? amen? So what do we see? What do we see? Everything that Jesus said needs to happen in the last days is already taking place. And even the part about the gospel being preached in every nation, due to technology today, the gospel is now reaching every nation of this world and every people group has been touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What used to take years for people to send letters, books and Bibles now can be a click of a mouse and it can go overseas. And it's amazing when you look. I know Kerry and Keisha and different ones have been. It's amazing when you go to some of these countries. Most people have cell phones now. Kelly just got a new phone just two weeks ago and and they were taking in old ones and they didn't care what form or shape they were because they said they're going to refurbish them all because they're sending them all over to foreign countries, to Middle Eastern countries and to these countries because they're glad of an iPhone 3 or 4 or whatever. It's going to be state of the art to them. But because of technology today, the gospel is now reaching. It has the capability to reach. I remember 18 years ago, I went through a program called Evangelism Explosion, an incredible program that really helped teach you how to witness to people and talk to people about Christ. And I remember 18 years ago watching one of their videos about how many people they were touching and the nations they were reaching. And 18 years ago on those videos, they said there are only five countries still that we are not in. That was 18 years ago. And I think it's safe to say in the last 18 years, they've reached those five nations in some shape or form. But you realize with life now and travel and just everything, it's not a case of a nation being a country somewhere now. A nation can be in your community. Because people from other nations are all around us right now. And we have the ability to touch nations just in our own community and in our own workplace. So it's got to be time. I mean, check, 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 check. The gospel's read. It's got to be time right now. But it's amazing. Most generations have also thought that. Most generations through time have also thought that. Peter, back in the Bible days, in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Peter, 2,000 years ago, thought the end was at hand. So when is it going to happen? Who has got the answer? Have we all been deceived? Let's look at verse 32 of Matthew or Mark 13. And here's why Jesus didn't set a date and time, but he answered by observation. What do I mean by that? He said, when this happens, that happens. He was showing them the times or what would take place in the last times, but not when. And here's why. But that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, that's Jesus, But only, say with me, only, only the Father. Amazes me how people can write books and set dates when they think there's someone greater than even Jesus. Because the Bible clearly says that Jesus doesn't even know. The only one who knows is the Father. God is the only one that knows the exact time. But then the next few verses are so key. 
because it tells us other vital information that you and I need to know. Look what it says as we read down verse 33 through 37. It says this, Take heed, there it is again, Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and each to his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch, watch, watch. No date, no time is given, but a position is given. What do I mean by that? Our position is given. Where we need to be, where we need to find our lives, we need to take heed, watch, and we need to be ready. When studying the scriptures, some people have taken the word of God, and not wrongly, but most feel rightly, and they've broken it down into dispensations. A dispensation is another way to say a time period. It's a period of time. And they've taken Genesis and they've gone through the Word of God and they've broke it down into time periods. I want to show you this thought today and and we're going somewhere with this, so hold on. The first dispensation is that which is called the dispensation of innocence. Innocence. It's from the beginning of time to the garden before sin. So when God created the world to the garden before sin. It was when man was responsible to God in total sinless innocence and freedom. Do you know the Bible says that that time period where there was no sin in this world probably lasted for no more than six days? Six days. Didn't take Satan long to come in and screw up the process. And we're going to be talking about that Sunday. You need to be here. We're going to be talking about the garden. We've got a great message lined up for you all. And and I, I just pray it comes out like God's given it to me. But that's a period of less than six days probably. Well, how do you know that? Because there are no Sabbath days that are mentioned in that time. And God was very strict on the Sabbath as a time of rest. No rest or no time is mentioned in that. So people believe that it was less than six days long. Then man stepped into the next dispensation is the dispensation of conscience. Okay, conscience. Okay, this is from the garden to the flood. Okay, so from the Garden of Eden to the flood. And man is tested on his obedience to follow his own conscience. There wasn't really rules. There wasn't really requirements. It was man to make his own choices. And we know how badly he did with that. And that's why God had to destroy the world. Because man left to himself is not going to do a good job. But what we see is there is some just over 1,600 years in this period. In fact, to be exact, it's 1,656 years, they tell us, is the dispensation of conscience. The next is, the third, is the dispensation, what they've labeled as human government. This is from the flood to Abram, when Abram was called, just before Abram was called. 
And God gave man laws to govern him. He began to institute laws. It wasn't his Ten Commandments, but he began to institute laws as the result of, of, of re-saving the world, if you want to say that, through Noah and purging the world. Then God says, okay, let's set some guidelines. And we see that that lasted for just over 400 years, 427 years, scholars tell us to be exact. You step into the fourth dispensation and it's called the dispensation of promise. The time period of promise, which is from Abraham when God called him. And that's where we get the promise from that God said in Genesis 12, I will bless you, I'll make a great nation. God gives Abram a promise and then it goes all the way to the Exodus when the children of Israel were set free from Pharaoh, their taskmasters in Egypt. So we see that this lasted for just over 400 years also, 430 years to be exact. The fifth dispensation we see is the dispensation of law. This is from Moses to Jesus Christ. How God gave man his law to follow and to live by. And that lasted just over 1,700 years, 1,718 years. Now if you will look at those that we have up there, that's the time period in the Word of God that is labelled as B.C. That's before Christ. From the beginning of the world till the time Christ was born. That's our B.C. part. Then we step into the next dispensation which we are living in now, they believe, and that's the time period of grace. If you would notice the period of grace, it's a longer time than any other dispensation. And we're going to discover, I believe, why that is. But it's from Jesus' birth till his return. So we are still living. That's why the plus is there. We're 2014, actually, and plus, moving on. And thank God for grace. We're living in the unmerited favor of God. You know what that means? What we don't deserve. And thank God for that which we don't deserve, but yet still he freely gives it to us. But grace is not just an unmerited favor. Grace is the strength and power that he wants to make available to us so we can live a victorious life. That we can overcome the powers of the enemy. So we look at that, that's what we can label as A.D., after death. Okay, so B.C. and then A.D. Okay, Pastor Philip, what does this have to do with the end times? I'm going to show you. Because I think it has everything to do with the end times. And let me explain. Look what it says in 2 Peter 3 verse 8. 2 Peter 3 verse 8 says this. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. What? That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Okay, stop. Let me read that again. Beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. If we're to take that verse literally, which most scholars agree we should, that one day is a thousand years, a thousand years as one day, then let's look back, if we could, at the dispensations of time. If you add up the dispensation of innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law and grace, which is ongoing... What does that total to? That totals over 6,000 years, 6,445 years to be exact, plus six days for the innocents. Okay? So what does that mean? If we to take God's word literally, that means this, 
that we can say, well, that means we've got plenty of time because we are not in the seventh day yet because that gives us another 755 years, so we've still got plenty of time. Hold on, hold on, screech. What is not recorded and written in there, we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, is called the millennium reign. The millennium reign is that which God has already set and appointed, which is going to be a thousand year reign. And we're going to be talking about that. So if we add the millennium reign to that, what are we finding? We're already in the seventh day. Come on, we're already in the seventh day. I got chills when I think about it. And if you would notice something, we are looking back to the beginning of the second seventh day. We're not looking forward to it. What do I mean? We are into the seventh day by over 200 years. Come on, we are well into it. We're almost a quarter of a way into the seventh. What's so important about the seventh day? When God created this world, he did everything in six days. And on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. He brought to an end those things and he rested. So if we believe the scripture, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, we are right now living in the seventh day, meaning what? We don't have the time that we perhaps think that we have. In fact, I'll go to say this, I believe we're living in borrowed time. I believe that we are living in borrowed time. I really do. And why the dispensation of grace? Remember I said the dispensation of grace is the longest. Why would that be? I'll tell you why that would be. Because it's the longest. And here's why. I'm going to show you from God's scripture. We read 2 Peter 3 verse 8 where it says, don't forget one day. Look at the next verse. It says this. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. It says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What is his promise? I'm coming back for you. Come on, the promise is this, I won't leave you. He left his Holy Spirit here to be with us, but he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back to you. Come on, that's a promise. What is the promise we have as children of God? An eternal home in heaven. Come on, this is not our home. We're just passing through. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding. Come on, that's the promise that we have, that we will be freed from sin and we will have eternal life with God in heaven. So what does it say? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering. Say with me, long-suffering. He's long-suffering towards us. He is long-suffering towards mankind. Get this picture. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. God doesn't want anyone to die lost. But it's not his choice. It's our choice to choose God. So why is grace the longest dispensation or time period? I'll tell you why. Because God is still hanging on and he's still holding out for that one. Come on, he wants to give that one the opportunity that they can. And he wants to present to them the same grace and mercy that we have. Oh, we know he's not going to hold out forever. But he's just saying, oh, just one more. Just one more. That's the heart of the Father, isn't it? Because he doesn't will that any should perish. But that all should have everlasting life. We are on borrowed time. Come on, we're in overtime mode right now. Which I'm telling you, it demonstrates to us all the love of God. That he's holding off redemption for that one soul that still needs to be saved. My God, there's an urgency in the air. 
And we need to go after that one soul. We need to be winning whoever we can right now because we are in borrowed time. Any moment, I really believe, the trump can sound and we're going to be out of here. We're gone because we are living right now in the seventh day. So if we take that scripture literally to look that we're in the seventh day, if we remember the fact that the gospel has to be preached to every nation now technologically, with technology and all these things, it's now been touched into every nation. And plus, if you want to add to it the fact that if you were to go through all the scriptures and you were to highlight and look at every prophecy and every scripture that needs to be fulfilled for him to come back, it's already been taken care of. Come on, I said it's already been all fulfilled. There's not one scripture or one thing that needs to be left to be fulfilled for him to come back. It's all taken place. It's all taken. So what does that mean, Pastor? What does it mean? Here's what it means. God could come back right now. God could come back right now if he so chooses. But everything's waiting on him. I'm not setting a date. I'm not putting fear because we're not going to be bound by fear with that. Man, great comeback, God. Save my problems. Come on, don't have to pay my house note next week if you come back tomorrow, God. It's all good with me. Come on, God. Okay, everything's good. Nothing to be afraid of unless, unless you're not ready. Unless you're not ready, then you've got everything to be afraid of. And I pray that what I just shared to you, excuse my language, but I pray it scares the hell out of you. Because you need the hell scared out of you so the heaven can be put inside of you. Because you need to realize, come on, we can't be like the disciples saying, so Jesus, can you tell us so we can, we can jump in right at the end? I'm telling you, the end is right now. You need to jump in. You need to watch because you could be missing the ship. Come on, we've got to jump on that gospel ship. Because time is out. Second Peter 3 verse 10. What does it say? For the day of the Lord will come. As a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Keep that scripture up. But Matthew 24, I don't have it. It says this, verse 40 through 42. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, but it's an event as a child of God that we should be looking forward to. We should be excited. Come on, we should have great expectation. The unknown sometimes can be intimidating. Let's just be real. Come on, the unknown can be intimidating. I remember what Jerry Hunt said when he spoke for our anniversary. He said, I'm not afraid to die, but how I'm going to die kind of scares me just a little bit. Remember when he said that? Not afraid to die, but God, if you could tell me how, that would kind of be cool. So I could just kind of prepare for that. But we've got nothing to be afraid of. The life of everything around us, the news, the media, man, it's intimidating. It wants us to be afraid, but we have got no fear because perfect love casts out all fear. Come on, let's do something. Let's go one, two, three and go, woo! Come on, one, two, three. Just getting rapture ready. There you go. We're ready to go out of here. Remember Big O used to always do that to us? Just getting rapture ready. We're going to be out of here in a shot. And hey, we're going to be gone. But here's what we must see. Look, uh, and it's so important. And the truth of this, you've got to see this tonight. And verse 11 says this, therefore, Since all these things will be dissolved, what matter of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? 
Look what it says. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. In verse 10, the last part, it talks about the, the world being destroyed by a fervent heat. And, and that's going to happen. God's going to replenish the earth. There's going to be a fire that's going to consume the world and all that. But don't worry, we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks and hopefully make that clear with you. But notice what he says. Therefore, all these things will be dissolved. God's going to take care of all these things. But what's not going to be resolved? What's not going to be dissolved? What's not going to be handled? What does he say? But in the midst of all of that, what matter of person are you? Who are you? Who are you? If you're working for God, if you're waiting for God to do something, oh, one day he's going to do that. No, God's saying today is the day of salvation. What kind of person are you? God's going to destroy the world, but God's not going to change your life from the person that you are right now. Come on, unless God saves you and change. Think about that. You've got to realize that. And, and therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you be in your holy conduct and godliness? What manner of person ought you to be? And that's from the key point from the scriptures that we've read in all these books. We read over and over and over again. We don't know the time, but are you ready? We don't know the date, but are you ready? What are you doing? What are you doing? Because whether it's the last days or not, I want to tell you something. It's your last days. Because the Bible says your life is but a vapor. You know what that means? It's just gone like that. So you're living in your last days. And so whether it's the last days of this world or not, it's your last days. Because when you look at your life in the state of eternity, your life is just a little speck on the plan of it all. It's just a moment. It's just almost a passing thought. And I heard these amazing figures this week. And it was this. 62% of Americans believe in the second coming of Christ. Second coming is different to the rapture. We're going to talk about that later. But listen to this. 62% of Americans believe in the second coming of Christ, but less than 8% serve him. 62% of Americans will say, oh yeah, God's going to come back. Something's going to happen. The world's going to change. They believe in some shape or form. I, I don't know how you can believe something like that and not be ready. But obviously many are. Obviously many are. What's that, 54%? 54% of those don't care. They don't care. Why? Because here's what they believe. They believe the greatest lie that they've still got time. They've still got all the time they need. That they can just get down on their knees at the last moment. Someone sent in a question today and said, what do you think the percentage is of you being saved during the tribulation period? We're going to talk about that. But when you see all the vials and you see the trumpets and you see everything that's going to be released upon this earth, I'm telling you, your chances of making it after the rapture are very, very slim. And I wouldn't put my money, I wouldn't put my life, my children and my future in something that I don't know when I can put it in something I do know. And that is this, today can be my day of salvation and I can know for sure that I'm going to make it to God. I think we're a fool if we're banking on the fact, well, I'll still have another chance. Why do you want another chance when you have an opportunity right now? Come on, there's no greater day to be saved than right now when you can do it and you can know that God's got your life and your future planned out for you. But look at this statement. Many are living with the reality, but they're not reflecting it. They're living with the reality God's coming back, but they're not living with it. Why? Because they're believing the lie. I've got to move on because I want to close out with this. Is this okay today? Okay. So, so maybe, you know, if you wait and you hold on, you may run a risk. You may still be able to make it. But I'm telling you, 
I want you to ask this question, Pastor P, what do I do with all this information? Everything you've given me today, what do I do? Here's what I'm telling you, live ready. Live ready. But how? I'm glad you asked because we're going to see how we can live ready. First Peter 4 verse 7, we're going to fly through this today. It says, but the end of things, uh, the end of all things is at hand. Peter said that back then. The end of time is at hand. But what does he say? Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious and watchful. What does that mean? I think that means this. Are you ready? Number one, don't be distracted. How do I live ready? Don't be distracted. We can get so easily distracted with the things of this world. We can get so caught up with the things. We can get so caught up with a new car that we're going to have to work overtime. And what happens? Our time to God, our time in church. Come on, it gets put on the back burner. We can get so distracted and caught up in the things of this world. They want to suck us dry. We get distracted, period, by life. Come on. But what does he say? He says, you've got to be serious and watchful in your prayers. Serious and watchful in your prayers. I read in our devotion, the daily devotion, I believe it was last week, this week, sometime. It talked about prayer, the purpose of prayer. Or one of the purposes of prayer is this, to make us like him. So the purpose of prayer is not for comfort, but conformity. So the purpose of prayer is not for comfort. Oh God, please help me. Give me a great job. To, hey, make my boss fired so I can take their position because they're mean. The purpose of prayer is not just your comfort. The purpose of prayer is your conformity. What? That you would be conformed and made into the image of Christ. Come on, that is the purpose of prayer, to make us more Christ-like, period. How can we be more Christ-like? By being less distracted by this world and being more in tune with God. Amen? So that's how we live ready. Number one, we don't, we're less distracted. Don't be distracted. Verse 8 goes on to say, And above all things, wow, that must be important. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Here's the second thing I believe we need to be doing, keeping short accounts. Keeping short accounts. Come on, living with forgiveness in our life. If we've got people, we've got unforgiveness, come on, we need to make it right. Oh, but they don't deserve it. Neither did you. And neither do you. But God gave it to you anyway. And the Bible says in the same measure he's given it to you, the same measure you need to give it out to other people. And I want to tell you something. Forgiving them does not make them free, but it sets you free. Come on, it doesn't make them right. Come on, when you forgive them, that doesn't make them right, but it sets you free. For, um, having unforgiveness in your life is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. It's not going to happen. You're killing your life. You're killing your own self. So keep short accounts. I love how the Message Bible says it says love makes up for practically everything. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Love makes up for practically everything. Got to have love in our lives. Go on, verse 9. It says be hospitable to one another without grumbling, without complaining, without moaning. So what does it say? We've got to be a giver. I really believe we've got to give. We've got to reach out to those in need. Uh, you know, we've got to be moving people down the scale. Pete read this scripture earlier, but look Acts 20 verse 35. I love the last part. It says, it, Jesus said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We say my blessing comes when I get. 
Come on, that's our mentality, isn't it? My blessing comes when I get. God says, no, your greatest blessing comes when you give. When you give, there's no greater joy than giving someone a gift. I love to give people gifts more than receive gifts. There's a joy that comes through being able to bless. God shows them us for that as we give, as we give sacrificiously, as we give out of our blessing and the increase that God has given to us. Oh, we will receive, but God says the greatest blessing comes when we give. Come on, let's focus in on that. Don't give to get, give to give. Because you've got the privilege to be able to do that. Verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What does that mean? You've got to use your talents. Each one of you has received a gift. You've got to use that to minister to other people. You've got to use that gift to build his kingdom. Come on, God has given you a gift so you can fulfill his purpose. I love what it says of David in the Bible. I believe it's in Acts somewhere. It says, and David served his generation and then he died. What a great thought that he served his generation. He gave of himself in every way that he could possibly do that. Wow, I want that to be said of me, that Philip, he gave everything. He lived what? He lived given everything so he died empty. I don't want to die full. I want to live what life full, but I want to die empty. Come on now. I want to give out of everything. What are you doing with your gifting and calling? Why, we could preach a whole message on this. Come on, dig it out of the hole. Some of you have buried your gift in a hole in the ground. Get it out of the hole and start using it. Don't sit there any any longer. Use it, sow it. Come on, every one of you should be somewhere ministering in the church, looking to serve and to be a part and to grow this church and to see blessing. Come on, serve in this house. Do you realize that the giftings that God has given you to go out and get a paycheck every day come second to what you should be using them for in the house? Come on, God gave you those gifts to promote his kingdom first. And oh, by the way, you get to have a paycheck and provide for your family through doing that. But the giftings you have, it's not because you're smart, it's because God was smart and he gave you your smart so you could do what you could do. Come on, we've got to honor God with our gifts and everything. Come on, so we've got to use our talents. Verse 11, this is talking about what do we do while we're being ready for God. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In all things, including your words. He's talking about your words there. So what do we do as we're living ready? We've got to watch the words that we say. Got to watch what comes out of our mouths because words will either tear down or they will build up. God wants us to use words to speak creation into being, to speak life. Come on, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and you'll eat the fruit of it. What does that mean? If you speak death, you're going to eat the fruit of death. If you speak life, you're going to reap the rewards of life. Come on, we've got to watch because we become the world. We speak the world that we live in and we've got to watch the words that we say. And lastly, and most importantly, and I almost hate to say most importantly, because that doesn't mean we shouldn't still give full attention to everything else. But look what it says in Second Peter 3 verse 14, moving to Second Peter, it says this, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. You know what it means to be diligent? I really believe what he's saying there is be diligent to put into work all those things I've talked about. Come on, don't get distracted. Keep short accounts. Be a giver. Use your talents. Watch your words. Be diligent with that. Don't let it slack. Come on, be diligent. Strain every nerve, that word diligent. Come on, push with that. Drive with that. He says, be diligent. And then he says what? To be found in him in peace. What? Unity he's speaking about. 
But notice what he says, without spot and blemish. So here's the last thing I believe we need to do. We need to do everything in life to be spotless and blameless. We need to do everything we can, meaning we can't save ourselves, I know that. But we need to be living a life that honors God with everything we do. We've got to do everything. If there was one little speck on a lamb that wasn't good enough back then to be offered up to God. It wasn't good enough to be offered up to God. And think about the specks and the blemishes that we can have in our life. I know we're not perfect and God knows that and thank God for his blood. But don't ever let that be the excuse. Oh, God knows I'm not perfect. What is it that you and God still need to work on? Because if you're saying there's imperfections in your life, that's areas of your life that you haven't totally surrendered over to him. Because God can take a great mess and he turns it around into greatness. God can do things. God can do wonders if we'll just give to him. So seek the Lord. The Bible says we've got to seek the Lord while he can be found, while he may be found. So we've got to live spotless and blameless. We've got to live in the salvation, walking out our walk with God. Come on, we've just got to stop sinning. Just stop sinning, doing those things that we know that are wrong. And we know the conviction of God inside of our hearts when we do those. We just need to stop doing those things. Because God says, if you want to be ready, you've got to be spotless. And I didn't write this, God does. And I'm telling you, because he wrote it, he's the one that's going to judge us according to it. And what we think can slide, come on. Yes, he's a, a loving God, but he's also a righteous God. And because of love and righteousness, it's not that there's ever a conflict, but what does that mean? He can't overlook sin in our life. He has to judge the sin of our life. And that's why he gave his son to become that sacrifice for us. But we've got to have acceptance. We've got to have it being washed and covered in the blood. And I know tonight we've covered a lot of stuff. And here's what I pray. I pray tonight that you're not disappointed. Oh, I just wished he'd have told me when and where. Hey, sorry. God's the only one that knows that. I pray tonight that you haven't sat and said, Oh, I'm afraid we're in the Sabbath day. What am I going We've got nothing to be afraid of unless we're not ready. And you can handle that right now and you can make yourself ready. We don't have to fear because of the promise we have through God. I hope tonight that you're challenged, yes. I hope we're challenged by this. But I pray that more than ever that we're encouraged. It can be right now, any time God can come back. It's ready. Everything I believe is ready according to Scripture and what we've looked at. Everything is ready for His return. Are you? Am I ready? When? I don't know. But whenever it is, you can know. Thank God we're living in his grace. He's still waiting for one more soul. But the Bible says his spirit will not always strive with man. There is going to be an end where he's going to call it quits. And he's going to come back for his bride. And he's waiting for each one of us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the sequence of of events. What's going to happen after the rapture or when the rapture takes place? What's going to happen? Because really, everything else when it comes to end times... Then we'll, we'll look at that as it goes. And, and we'll be taking you step through step through all of that so you can know what to expect. But here's the deal. Don't even worry about all of that stuff either. Because all you need to know is, do you know Jesus? And then he's got the rest taken care of. 
He said, I've prepared and I've taken care of and I've done it all. What we're going to go through, we're not going to be, have to worry or be concerned about if we've made it right, right here with God. Has anyone got any questions just quickly before I pray for you all tonight? Has anyone got any questions that they'd like to ask? If you don't have a question, you can email us on our website. Did it help people tonight? Did that help? I pray that it helped. And I pray that I was able to communicate it over. You always worry that you're communicating it over right and that people are grasping it. And if there's questions that you have in private or things, please just email us, like I said this week. But most of the questions, unless otherwise specified, we're going to answer them corporately together each and every week. And I may not answer it next week. It may be the week after because what I'll try and do is coincide with what we're teaching. So when we answer the question, you'll understand really in the light of the, of the sequence of time and just everything that's going to happen. But are we ready? Are we ready? Here's what I want us to do. Can we do this right now? Trey's just going to play. Can we just find a place to pray, whether it's just bending our heads down and bowing our heads where we're at, maybe we want to get on our knees if we want to come to the front. Could we just for a few moments tonight, can we just make sure that we're ready? And I'm always reminded of that scripture when we take communion. And it says, but let a man examine himself to see if he's worthy to eat and drink of the cup. We've got to watch that because many times when we examine ourselves, we can overlook the faults and flaws. And we can say, oh, well, that's just me. But we remember this, when we examine our life, we've got to do it according to his criteria. We're doing it according to his desire and design. And I'm not trying to put anyone in condemnation because that's not God. God doesn't put us in condemnation. But what I'm trying to say today is this. What we perhaps excuse in our life is inexcusable to God. We've got to be spotless and blameless before God. So just for a few moments, if you would, just find a place to pray. and Come on, let's just make it right with God. would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.